We're going to talk today about um, the source of a blessed new year. Now, I was going to put prosperous and successful, and those are great words, but they tend to we tend to think more carnally, you know, when we think we think of success and prosperity. Generally, when people think of success and prosperity, they think of money, things, stuff. Now, success technically is hitting the mark, or whatever your goal is, you hit the mark, you hit the bullseye. So, I hope you have a a, a mark, a bullseye that says you want peace and joy and spiritual growth and all those things. But so, I want to talk about living a blessed life. Now, 2020 was a pretty hard hit on the world at large, and some of you experienced tremendous loss and pain in 2020. And uh, when you pulled down the 2020 calendar, you were happy to tear it up, rip it up, burn it, whatever, and put up the 2021 one. Some of you had little inconveniences, and some of you had no problem at all. I mean, some of you, you, you didn't get sick, you kept your job, you got your pay, you started getting checks from the government on top of the hat, and it was like, wow, you know, I know the world was in a bad shape. It didn't really seem to affect me that much. So we're all different things. And we had some, you know, minor disappointments. But one thing we noticed about... Um, United States of America, so many of our problems, honestly, I mean, we got one son that always says uh, first world problems because we typically do have problems like, you know, our third bathroom's broken down, you know what I mean? Or our, you know, my goodness, our fourth car has a problem. You know, those are the kind of things we have. Or, or my goodness, I, I can't find any room to put all this food I bought at the grocery store in my cabinets or, or refrigerator. I mean, those are real problems, aren't they? And that's how you know, we Americans are most of the times. We are blessed. And even those who are here who don't feel blessed, I do want to remind you, you have more than probably 80% of the rest of the world, even if you feel like you're on the bottom of the ladder, because we are blessed people. Well, last year, 2020, uh, something you probably most of you don't know, because Darlene is not one for the limelight. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, I've told her for years, you had to preach. She's got an anointing on her to preach. And you see how hungry she is for the pulpit, right? Uh, 30 years and she hasn't preached yet, but we're still believing. Okay. And, uh, she has kind of anointing on her when she begins to speak that sometimes you don't even know what is going on, but you're in, you know what I mean? Like I'm in, I mean, I, I just can't wait to hear the rest of it. So, uh, she was blessed last year or actually 2019 with a, the Lily endowment sabbatical grant people awarded her grant for her years of service and ministry in 2019. And uh, amen. Yeah, give the Lord a hand clap. Um, I always say if she, if you ever see her grab a microphone, I mean, pay attention, lean in because, because she's not one of those people. And some of you, you love the limelight. And that's okay. We're all, we're all different. Some of you, you know, you'd love to have the microphone all the time. And I feel a little something. I better share it with people. But she's kind of like, I have to feel it's really a value and it's really the Lord uh, before I'll, I'll share that. So lean into it if she ever grabs the mic. But you know, digressing there, we, we get this uh, sabbatical, and it's actually a big chunk of money that Lily Endowment gives someone to rest and to, you know, to recreate and vacation. So, you know, I'm obviously going to ride on the coattails of this thing. So we've got a couple of uh, trips planned last year, and um, we had one planned in the spring to Italy. Now, do you remember what happened in Italy? It was like the worst place on the planet. I told Darlene, I said, let's go anyway. Because we'll get right in and see anything we want to see with no crowd, okay? But they wouldn't let people in. Then we had a trip in the fall planned to Spain. Now, Italy and Spain were like the two worst places on planet Earth, you know, for quite a bit of time last year. 
Now, one of the reasons that I was so passionate that I wanted to go to Italy was there's this mural I wanted to see in Milan. Now, we call it Milan, but I think they say Milan. And in Milan, there's this mural painted by this artist that you may be familiar with. His, his name's Leonardo da Vinci, if you've ever heard of him. And this mural that was painted is called The Last Supper. Most of you have probably seen it. So I was like stoked to go see this thing. And uh, there it's on your screen. Most of you have probably seen that, correct? Okay. I, I'm telling you what, they said COVID was so bad in Italy that Jesus and his disciples, the Last Supper last year in Italy looked like this. Let's see that. It was, it was a Zoom meeting. I mean, it was just, you, you probably, you probably had more of those that you care about this year. People call me up and say, hey, we need to meet. Can we have a Zoom meeting? I say, absolutely not. They say, why not? Let's just talk on the phone. Why? If you have a Zoom meeting, I have to comb my hair. You know, I have to make sure that the bookshelf looks okay. I got to just too much work. We'll just talk on the phone. You know, especially people I know. I don't need to see your mug. You don't need to see my mug. We'll just talk on the phone. So we had everybody probably did more Zoom meetings than they cared to do. So, but I'm going to talk about what we can do to grab a hold of a blessed life in this new year. And I've, I'm still one who likes to have goals and, and resolutions for a new year. And I know some of you aren't. Some of you are saying, I long since gave that up because when I set goals or resolutions, I never achieved them. And you probably hear me say this every year, and I probably always will say this. That's because we really don't set resolutions. The whole word resolution means I'm resolved. I am focused. I got the eye of the tiger. I'm like a bulldog on this thing. I, I'm laser focused. This is so important to me. I'm going to achieve it. Most of us don't set New Year's resolutions. We set New Year's wishes. We have New Year's wishful thinking. So, you know, New Year's Day, we think, what do I want to do this year? Okay, let's see. I want to lose 50 pounds this month. Uh, I want to I want to run a marathon. I want to triple my income. I want to write a book. I want to be famous. You know, we have all those things, and then they're not real passions. They're just wishful thinking. So I still believe in setting resolution. Now, you don't have to. That's just the way I'm wired up, and I want to move towards those, but I want to talk about, I mean, we're, I mean, we're gathered here in the house of the Lord. I want to talk about how to move forward spiritually, to have spiritual goals, at work, school, wherever, they may have a whole different set of things they want to train on and teach on. But I want to talk about how can we be what God has called us to be and be everything God wants us to be. And so there's a lot of stuff in Scripture that talks about starting and pursuing and finishing well in the things of God and how to grow and develop in God. By the way, this is so critical because according to Scripture, and I believe Scripture above everything else, do you ever notice that you can watch the news and say, I don't even know who to believe? You know that? Thank God for the word of God. You can go, I know what to believe. It's, it's never changed. It's forever settled in heaven. You know, not one dotted I or cross T will pass away. It's forever settled in heaven. So I can have this confidence in the word of God. And so the word of God teaches and trains us on how to be what we're called to be uh, as a believer in Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of references to um, athletic kind of things, illustrations in scripture. And we're told in scripture Again, how to start, how to pursue, and how to finish strong in the Lord, the things of God. Because all of us would like our resolutions to at least make it past, you know, like January 15th. We'd like to figure out a way to set goals and have dreams that last all year long and that God helps develop us. Well, Paul, when talking to his young uh, trainee, protege, apprentice, whatever you want to call it, his name was Timothy. 
uh, Paul, by the way, I always remind you this, he was a guy who hated Christianity. He wanted to stamp it out until he met the resurrected Jesus, the, guy, the Jesus who had died rose again, and then he became a fully devoted follower of Jesus, began planting churches around the known world there, and was instrumental in writing most, or a big chunk, not most of it, a big chunk of the New Testament. He's got this young man, Timothy, very passionate about God, wants to go after God, and he's mentoring him, training him in the things of God. Well, Paul knows that his life is about done, and so he's writing to Timothy, and he says, he says that he has fought a good fight. And you'll listen to these things, and it is a, a lot of sports analogy to this. So, uh, in 2 Timothy, I think it is, 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. We Christians have an advantage in achieving goals, and especially growing spiritually, that a lot of people don't have. Now, every Christian has them, but many of us as Christians don't access those things. And they're available to the entire world, but a lot of people don't want Jesus. I mean, it's crazy to me because Jesus is awesome. But a lot of people aren't interested in Jesus. A uh, guy who was Jesus' right-hand man, John, he wrote in John 3.19, he said, here's the verdict, here's the final say of it all. Light has come into the world. Jesus is light. Light has come into the world. But men love darkness more than they love light because their deeds were evil. And so, and when we think of evil, we think, oh, yeah, those people you know, who are on death row for mass murders and all that. But really, anytime God, we say, I'm going to reject God and I'm going to do life on my own terms, that is evil. So your neighbor, whom you love, and keeps his yard nice and is willing to loan you his chainsaw if you need it, uh, if he says, I'm going to reject God, not go after God, that's an evil thing. And so his ways are evil. He said, I don't want to have anything to do with God because people think they can do life better without God. You can't. Just want you to know, you can't. But I think I can. You can't. No one's ever done it better without God. And so we need the Lord. In fact, I often say, how do people survive without the Lord? So, now sometimes I will say this. If you've got just a secular worldly goal, it may be easier to obtain without God. And you say, well, aren't you contradicting yourself? No. It may be easy to obtain temporarily without God. They say, well, why is that? Because you have no moral or ethical compass, so you can do whatever to get your goal. You can lie, you can cheat, you can steal, you can manipulate, you can do whatever, and that may help you get a hold of whatever it is in this world that you want to get a hold of, but it'll be temporary, because in the long run, it doesn't work. And so the question is, it begs a question to us, how long do we want to enjoy life? All of our life, or just for a little part of it? Now, we Christians are notorious as saying, oh, the world is miserable. People without Jesus are miserable. No one's having a good time. That's not true. You know some sinners who are having a really good time. You know, even the Bible says this, that sin is pleasurable for a season, for a little while. I know a guy who was going after God, and he backslid for five years. That's a churchy term for he went away from his walk with God for five years. And he lived it up in his flesh. In the middle of living it up in his flesh, he would tell you he was having the time of his life. And that this was awesome. But in about five years, he ended up discouraged, depressed, demotivated. 
I mean, if it was so wonderful, it ought to last his whole life, but it didn't. And he came back to God, and he would tell you today, I still deal with things that messed up my life in those five years. That's, that's the only problem I have with these stories where we say, well, here's somebody walked away from God, they lived for Lucifer for 20 years, and now they're back with God, and then there are people out in the audience going, oh, well, see, hey, you know, I can go live however I want and come back to God. I want them to tell the whole story. I want them to tell about all the pain that's still in their life. I want to tell them about all the heartbreak that's still in their life. I want to tell you about all the things they still struggle with because of that. And so their journey, whether it's five weeks or five years, can really cause a mess. And so I, I don't want us to do that. I don't want you. And a lot of people do this. They had a flesh-filled, sinful, pleasurable weekend. And they say, wow, I look back and think, boy, that was a great weekend. That was a great Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I don't want to have a, just a great weekend. I want to have a great life. And that's what God wants for you. God doesn't want you to say, oh, that was, that was a good year or a good little season of sinfulness and flesh. But I have a great life. And I will tell you, my buddy and I got, there's millions of examples like this. They will tell you it was fun for a while, but it was a hollow, empty, awful fun that resulted in shipwrecking my life, not blessing it. So we want to have life, abundant all our life, not just for a moment. Well, Paul uses athletic examples and illustrations. I don't know if he's a sports enthusiast or if he was talking to people that are sports enthusiasts, but he uses them a lot. In case you're thinking, I didn't even think there were sports back in those days. little history note. The first recorded Olympic game was in 776 B.C. So almost 800 years before Jesus was born, they were celebrating sports and Olympics. We've always been sports-crazy people in the world. I assume God's into sports. People's into sports. I suppose in heaven I'll finally be an athlete. So we'll see how that happens. We're going to look at Paul talking about these sports things because they really are great training things. And what we're going to talk to, even though they're, they're primarily on uh, spiritual growth, they can be applied to almost anything in life. So you can apply them to other places, but my goal is for us to grow spiritually. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Some translations say run in such a way as to win. Run in such a way to win. Run to get the prize. It's okay to want to win. Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. The games were probably referring to Olympic-style games, or we can call it any athletic event. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Now, is that not true? Is there any Olympian out there who's not in strict training? No, they are in strict training. They may have started training at four years old. They train, they exercise five, six, seven, eight hours a day. They work on their craft. They watch how they eat. They're, they are in strict training to compete. They do it to get a crown. Now, we had a sabbatical one time. We went on something called the Footsteps of Paul. And the Footsteps of Paul was a journey where the Apostle Paul stopped and planted churches. And that's primarily in Greece and the Greek islands. We had two tour guides on that. One was maybe a Christian, I'm not sure. He was still a great tour guide because they understand what their job is to, you know, expose us to all the Christian history and everything that went on in all these cities. And 
in Corinth and Ephesus and different places that we went, Thessalonica, all those places. But we had one, when we shifted to the next one, she was a believer. And you could sense that to her. This wasn't just a job. This was, this was holy to her. And she was Greek, and so she had her Greek Bible. And remember this passage here because she said, really, most of the, most of the English translations are not that good because it uses crown in both places. And what it really should say is they go into strict training to win a wreath. The Olympic award back in the day was an olive wreath. You've seen, haven't you ever seen an old show where they put the little wreath on somebody's head? That's it. They have gone into all this strict training, all this work, all this energy to win a wreath that goes on their head. It's temporary. It won't last. That will not last. But we do it to get a crown, something of solid metal like gold. We, learn, we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So what he's saying here, is, let's think about this. That's why the word therefore is. Therefore, since this is true, you want to become an athlete, you go on strict training to win a temporary crown that's perishable or will rot away. But we go into strict training to get an eternal crown that will last forever. Therefore, since this is true, temporary versus eternal, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body. What's he saying? I discipline my flesh. I make my body my slave. Now, most of us, if we were honest, say we usually obey our body. But here, God is saying, that we are going to make our body obey our spirit. See, you really are an eternal spiritual being. That's kind of awesome when you think about it. You know, this, this body of flesh and blood will return back to the earth. But my spirit man will live forever. So I am a spiritual being having physical experiences. I am not a physical being having spiritual experiences. My spirit man will live forever. And so it's very imperative that we take care of our spirit man and so he said i'm going to make my body obey now the king james says something that we americans are good at it says i buffet my body but most americans have read i buffet my body okay we just want you to know it's not what it meant buffet although it's spelled the same way i buffet or i i train my body i make it my slave so after i preach to others i myself will not be disqualified for the prize so Paul is saying, what I'm teaching you, I'm doing it. I'm just not, remember that word we learned, praxis? I just don't have a theory about this. I have a lifestyle about it, so I won't be disqualified. And then he says to his, his apprentice Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.5, Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. You can't cheat and get the victor's crown. Now, especially in the Olympics, because uh, you might have known over the years, people have cheated. When they find out that they have cheated, do you know what they do? They remove every single award they've received. Every single award. Much like should be done for the Patriots. But anyway, um, okay, sorry. I know all you Patriot fans just said said, I was with you, but now I can't even listen to this guy anymore. Okay, I'm sorry. That was, that was a bad joke. It's really sad that my jokes are so bad that uh, Leon asked me today, you going to tell any bad jokes? I said, probably, before it's over with. <laughs> yeah, probably. 
But if you're an Olympian and you found out that you've cheated, you get stripped of all your medals, of all your awards, of all your records you set. You get stripped of all of it because you cannot get the victor's crown unless you compete according to the rules. And in Christianity, there are rules, there are guidelines, there are principles. Now, we hate the word rule, you know what I mean? But the truth is, life is full of principles and guidelines. And so Christianity has it too. Do you want to live forever with Jesus? Then you need to receive him as your savior. We could say, that's a rule or a guide. Well, I, I'm just going to be a good person. That ain't going to cut it. You can't be good enough. Well, I'm just going to worship whatever I want, however I want, with sincerity of heart. That's not going to cut it. Jesus said, no man comes unto the Father but by me. And as C.S. Lewis and, and others have said over the years, Jesus is either telling the truth or he's a liar. He's a lunatic. He's a madman. He's a charlatan. Because he stood up and said, nobody gets to heaven but through me. Peter, a very devout Jew who became a Christian, looked to the devout Jews on the day of Pentecost and said, there's no other name under heaven whereby you must be saved than the name of Jesus. Now, he was talking to devout religious Jewish people and said, you guys need Jesus. And so Jesus is the answer. And so Paul says, I'm going to compete according to the guidelines, the principles of Scripture. Now, this is very, very important because the Bible has, has procedures. And the interesting thing, we'll get to that, they're not burdensome, the Bible says. Because when we think of rules, we think, oh, rules. Oh. But the Bible says the rules of God are not burdensome. They're not grievous. They're not heavy. And we'll get to that in a minute. But I want to say this is very important insight that we'll find from the Bible. And uh, as I was going over my notes, I thought, you know what? I'm going to make this a slide because I really want to drill this in our heads. A system is superior to a goal. A system is superior to a goal. What do I mean by that? You may leave here today and say, that's my goal. This year, I'm going to be more spiritual. What's that mean? And how are you going to do it? I mean, we can all have goals, and goals can be just a lot of hot air. But a system sinks some teeth into them. It becomes a way to do it and, and do it better and, and do it right. Since we've been talking about athletics, if, if you came to me and said, I, I've got a goal, Tracy. I've got a goal. And you say to me, I'm going to run a marathon this year. Now, if I know you well, I will look you dead in the eye and say, yeah, right. If I don't know you well, I'll be thinking, yeah, right, I bet you are. Now, I don't know if you know this, but a marathon's 26 point some miles. It's like driving from my house, running from my house to the church and running back to my house. I can't, I can't even imagine running from my house to the main road, let alone actually running all the way to the church, turning around and running back. That's about the length of a marathon. Now, if you came to me and said, you know, I've had this desire, kind of a goal to run a marathon, and I have... Um, enlisted the help of a bunch of marathon runners who like to help newbies like me. And I've already started meeting with them every Monday through Saturday. We meet for about an hour. They work and talk about training. And they've told me that if I don't get injured and, and I follow the principles, I'll be able to run a 5K probably in about 90 days. And then we're going for a 10K and then a half marathon, maybe in a year. It might take me a little longer. When you start laying all that out, I will say, this guy or gal is probably going to run a marathon. Why? Because I'm realizing... You're committed to a system. 
Now, that doesn't mean you won't quit along the way, but your chances are greatly improved because you have committed to a system and to accountability and to, to others who have gone the journey before you who are helping you along the way, which is what Paul's doing to Timothy. And guess what? That's what Paul's doing to me and to you. He's mentoring us. He's equipping us. He's training us. He's helping us. So we don't want just air. We want a system that gives some teeth to it. So we want to look from Scripture and see how, what is the main ingredient that helps us? And we'll deal more with this next week, but what's the main ingredient that we need that will help us develop a healthy spiritual life? Now, healthy spiritual life is kind of the goal, but what's the ingredient that helps create the healthy spiritual life? Sometimes there's key ingredients that are essential, and others are non-essential. They may help or not, but they're not as essential. For instance, Darlene will ask me, with regularity, what do you want for lunch? And I will say, I want an extra large deep dish Chicago style pizza with everything on it. And she says, okay. And then she'll say, lunch is ready, and I'll go out, and there's a salad. I don't know why that happens, but that's what it is. But there's a key ingredient to a salad. Don't think too deep. I just want you to think about it. What is the most important ingredient in a salad? Lettuce. Now, sometimes there's croutons, sometimes there's, somebody said gummy bears. No, that's not a key ingredient to a salad. So a lettuce is a key ingredient. Now, sometimes there's croutons, sometimes there's sesame seeds, sometimes there's avocado, sometimes there's eggs, all those peripheral things. But there's always lettuce. It's the key, key ingredient in a salad. If I throw some croutons, an avocado, and an egg in a bowl, I don't look at it and go, oh, thank you for this salad. I need some lettuce for me, to, at least, to think of it as a salad. So it becomes the key ingredient as I'm shooting, as Darling's shooting for my goal of eating a salad. It becomes the key ingredient lettuce does. The other things are peripheral. And sometimes we say, I wonder what the key ingredient is. Maybe it's Bible study. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's church attendance. Maybe it's fasting. Maybe it's journaling. Maybe it's, you know, the list goes on and on. But we're going to look and find what the key ingredient is. What is the key thing for... Happiness, peace, joy, uh, a blessed life in the Lord. Well, let's look at John 10.10. This is from the Amplified Bible Classic Edition. This is actually Jesus speaking. The thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. Now, if I stop right there, does anyone want a relationship with the thief? No. He comes to steal and kill and destroy. I, Jesus, came that they, you, I, that we may have and, what's the next two words? Enjoy life, that we might have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. This is Jesus saying, this is why I came, that you would have this abundant life. Then Jesus asked for the scroll one day, Luke 4, 18 through 19 records it. He turns to Isaiah and he reads this. The Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed whom? Me. He has anointed me. Anointed me to what? To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent who? Me. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. I think we're in good shape if I add this. He has sent me to set the oppressed free. He has sent me... This is a good New Year's verse. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Do you see who the primary person is in this verse? Jesus. 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 Jesus is the essential ingredient to spiritual growth. We can't bypass that. We can try all kinds of things. Now, I'm not saying you won't grow as a person. You won't grow in your education or business or relationships by doing different things. But if you want a life that's blessed in all areas, and by the way, your spiritual life will flow out and bless other areas of your life. That's why it's so critical. Then you need Jesus. You need Jesus. Now, we're going to get some more teaching here. Jesus says this in Matthew six thirty-one through 33. So do not what? Worry. Do not worry. Do not worry saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, and what shall we wear? Don't worry about those things. For the who? Pagans ran after all these things. Pagans are unbelievers, non-Christians. The pagans are running after all these things. What are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? What are we going to drink? They're running after all these things. Now, every time I get this verse, there's two important things I want us to see. First of all, we tend to have a tendency as Christians to say, yeah, don't worry about those things because they don't matter. Don't be carnal. Don't be worldly. Don't worry about that stuff. God, God doesn't care. But that's not what the verse says. For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He doesn't say they're not essential. He knows that you need them. But seek first, seek first, his kingdom, and his righteousness. Righteousness is the right way of doing things. The guidelines are principles of God. And all these things, what? All these things the pagans are running after will be given to you as well. This is Jesus talking. This is not a slick lip televangelist trying to bilk you of your money so you can think you're going to be blessed. This is Jesus just saying this is a principle of how life works. This is how life works. Another beautiful thing about the passage I want to remind you is it says seek first. It doesn't say seek only. Because sometimes people say, well, I guess I can't. I was thinking about really focusing hard on my education this year or on a promotion at work or on better relationships with my spouse or, or kids or parents or friends. I was thinking about focusing on my health or, or something like that, but I guess I can't. No, it doesn't say you can't. It says seek ye first. You can have other priorities, but they don't need to come before God. Your, your, your health, your exercising, your, your marriage, your, your kids, your education, your promotion, your work does not need to come before God because God will help you in all those things if you keep him first. The divine order, seriously, in Ephesians is released. It's God first, marriage second, children third, work fourth. Because when you keep in that order, everything goes up to the next level. If your marriage is healthy, your kids sense that. If your marriage and kids are healthy, then you can go to work and not have to worry about stuff. Everything gets promoted. If you're healthy in the Lord and your spouse is healthy in the Lord, then your marriage is healthy. Does that make sense? Everything progresses if we keep that in order, but it gets messed up when we get it out of order. So this is Jesus talking to us. And then we see this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 7-9. through 9. Again, this is Amplified Bible Classic Edition. I like how they say it. But refuse and avoid irreverent legends, profaned and impure and godless fictions, mere grandmother's tales, and silly myths, 
and express your disapproval of them. Then he goes on to say, train yourself. So I want to pause for just a second. I am like the worst at conspiracy theories, not at believing in them, but not believing in them. And so I, I disappoint so many people because they come to me with, with these conspiracy theories that they want me to get excited about, and I don't get excited about them. And you may say, well, come on, get excited about them. Now, here's why I don't, so you'll know. Because to date, I've never found any of them to be true. That's just me. Now, that also is a problem because somebody may present me with a real one, and I don't believe it because I've never seen one to get true. I don't know how many times I've been told what the mark of the beast is. I'm running out of the mark of the beast. And so this is it, and I don't get excited about it, and they're hurt. But then later, we're not thinking about that. This is the mark of the beast, and then this is the mark of the beast, and this is the mark of the beast. Do you know how many antichrists and false prophets I've been told in my life? Lots of them. I remember a very devout Democrat came to me back in the election before Ronald Reagan was elected, and they came to me and said, we have to be careful. He is the Antichrist. Now, I don't know if you know this. He's dead now. He was a horrible Antichrist. If he was, he didn't, he didn't make it. And the, so here was their passion. They said, first of all, he's a warmonger. He was very strong militarily. You know that. And here's what they told him. He has a button, a finger on the nuke button. If he's president, he'll have that finger on there at all times. We will be in World War III, guaranteed, if Ronald Reagan is elected. And if you want to know the real sign, his name is Ronald Wilson Reagan. Every one of his names have six letters in it. Six, six, six. Okay. Well, after you have about a dozen of those, you go, okay. I'm sorry, I can't get excited about them anymore. Every pope has been the Antichrist or the false prophet. They die and there's a new one. I'm not saying one day they won't be. I'm just telling you that I kind of had to say, it takes so much time to fall down the rabbit hole of conspiracy theories that I believe Paul's saying something here. Instead of spending the hours and hours and hours and hours of looking at all this stuff, I'm not telling you not to be educated. I'm not telling you not to stay up on what's going on. I really am not. I'm just saying be careful because Paul is saying here, and he's mentoring us too, be very careful instead of investing all that time in that. And remember... In my 40-plus years of going after God, 50 years, none of them have come true yet. So I, I lose my steam to want to put a lot of time into them. But here's something that will work well with my time. Take that time and train yourself towards godliness or piety, which means holiness or rightness, keeping yourself spiritually fit. Learn, grow, Listen to ideas. I don't mind that. Think them through, all that. But don't waste so much time that you find out, well, at the end of the year, I didn't grow any spiritually, but I did learn lots of conspiracy theories that never came to pass. So here, train yourself. For physical training is of some value. It's useful for a little. But godliness, spiritual training, is useful and of value in everything in every way. See, that's a lie of the devil in the world. Well, I guess, you know, I guess... Loving God's okay one day in the great by and by. No. Godliness is profitable now in this life today. Right where you're at right now. Going after God is profitable and a blessing and a benefit. It's good for everything in every way. It holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Saying this is reliable and worthy of complete acceptance by everybody. In other words, Paul ended this by saying, this is non-negotiable. This is truth. 
Train yourself to be godly. It's valuable now and into the life of come. And don't get sidetracked by all kinds of things. So we've discovered in Scripture as we look at here that Jesus is the key ingredient to spiritual growth and hearing and obeying his ways. Hearing and obeying his ways. He's the source of a blessed life. He's the source, the starting point of reaching our goals to growing spiritually and enjoying a life of joy and peace and happiness. And he's not a burden. One of... Jesus' right-hand people, again, in 1 John 5, 3, says, loving God, listen, loving God means keeping his commandments. Now, again, we can say, I thought we were delivered from those. No, they're written on our hearts. And he says, keeping the commandments of God, John goes on to say, is not burdensome. It is not burdensome. If obeying the commands of God becomes a burden to you, we're doing something wrong. Because Jesus said they should not be a burden. In fact, Jesus goes on and says, all of you who are weary, all of you who are heavy burdened, come unto me and I will give you, does anybody remember? Rest. Come unto me, I'm gentle and lowly and humble of heart. Learn of me and you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke, for it is easy, and my burden, I want to define what a burden is, because we think, I'm so burdened, you know, I got this test coming up this week. It's not really what it meant. It, a burden is a weight. When you would take a camel, a horse, a donkey, and you would load supplies on it, what they're carrying is their burden. That's the burden, the weight. Now, I get that because it's a good analogy. If you have a test looming over you, you might feel the weight of that. You see what I'm saying, the burden of that. But it, it means weight. And so Jesus said, Take my yoke for it's easy, my burden is light, and you will find rest for your souls. So listen to the words of Jesus when it comes to obeying him. Rest, easy, and light as opposed to heavy. So when things get heavy and cumbersome, burdensome, and painful, and yucky, then something's wrong. This isn't what Jesus promised us. So let's look at uh, another set of verses because... We find out that obedience to Jesus produces life and peace and joy and all of that. But again, people say, well, I'm going to do things my way. Well, here's your warning. Proverbs 13, 15. Good understanding gives favor, but the way of the transgressor is what? Hard. The way of the transgressor is hard. Now, that's, if you look up synonyms for transgressor, it means lawbreaker, breaking the laws of God sinner, or wrongdoer. And I like how the NIV says it, because I like to read different translations, because, and they don't conflict with each other, usually open up more understanding. It says, good judgment wins favor, but the way of the unfaithful, unfaithful to God, unfaithful to his principles, unfaithful to his word, the way of the unfaithful leads to their destruction. So we got a path we can walk on in life. We can go for God and righteousness and we can have life abundant and overflowing and to the fullest measure and we can have life and enjoy life. Jesus is the one that said that. Or we can decide, I don't need God. I'm going to do things my way. I'm not going to follow God's ways. I'm not going to follow God's principles. I'm going to do it my way. And it leads to destruction. It leads to destruction. We don't want destruction. So now we're going to loop back to 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Instead of that, rather, 
train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, I just want to drive this point home again. I don't mind that you listen to other ideas and other philosophies and think things through, but beware. When all the COVID stuff was going on, I had a buddy who sent me something by Facebook, and he said, would you watch this, you know, and tell me what you think about it, about all the theories about what and why and how and this and that? And I said, sure. So I click on the link. I'm not joking about this. It's over three hours long. I sent back and said, I am so sorry. I thought this was going to be six minutes, 12 minutes, maybe even an hour, but three hours? I said, probably I'm not going to watch it. Uh, because by the time you're done, you've got a week's worth of time invested in watching those, and they may all contradict each other. So be careful. Again, are you hearing me? I don't mind that you explore, think, process. There's lots of, of interesting ideas out there. But make sure that does not interfere with you training yourself to be godly and going after God. For godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Next week, we're going to talk about some actual things from Scripture that help us develop a system. But your first step for the system is Jesus. You can't bypass Jesus. He's the first step. So we'll come up with some plans from Scripture on how not to fizzle out, because we've all, I've done it too. We've all done it. You know, it's, it's January 17th, and we've already given up on, you know, 75% of our, our goals. Uh, the Scripture shows some ways to help us that not to happen so we can enjoy them all year long. So here's your assignment for the week. First of all, make sure you've committed your life to Jesus. Make sure. Don't, don't well, you know, I'll do things my way. You, you can. You really have the freedom to do things your way. I just want to make you a promise. It won't work. And, and let me say something I get burdened by. Um, you're hearing this. It won't work. But if you're saying to yourself, well, I'm not going to pay attention to that. It'll, it'll work for me, or I'll, I'll come back to God later. I, I promise you what will happen. Satan, sin, the world will deceive you like he does. Your path will lead to destruction. You'll get beat up by life. Then when you're in the gutter, not literally, but when you feel like I'm all broken and beat up, Satan, that stinky liar, will come whisper in your ear, I thought God loved you. Look at what he did to you. Or you'll be sitting there saying, you know what? About five years ago, I heard Tracy say, don't go that path. It will lead to destruction. I'm sitting here as a living example of what he said was right. You know what I would rather have you say? Five years ago, or five months ago, I heard Tracy say this, and I believed it, and I did it. And my life is filled with joy and filled with peace, filled with Jesus, filled with hope, filled with the future. And I'm enjoying life every day as a believer in Jesus Christ. I'd much rather hear that testimony. But one or the other is going to happen to you, and I want the testimony to be Jesus and his word is true. The second thing is I want you to think about a growth system that will work for you. Now, sometimes people go, I don't know how I, would, how I would ever figure that out. I'm going to show you how to figure it out. You ready? If you really say, I don't have any idea, you go to your smart device, phone, tablet, or computer, 
and you go to a browser and you type in something like this. Method for growing as a Christian this year. Return. Up comes all kinds of things. Now don't put just method for growing, because you might get anything, but method for a Christian. And it'll give you all kinds of ideas. Because we're all kind of wired up different. What, what we connect to, some of your morning people and some of your evening people. I just always love it when a, when a non-morning person tells me, I'm going to get up every day at 5 a.m. and seek God for an hour. Now again, being the encourager I am, if I know them well, I will look them dead in the eye and say, no, you're not. You haven't seen 5 a.m. since you were an infant in the bed waking up your parents to feed you. You haven't seen 5 a.m. You didn't even know there was a 5 a.m. They're going to have to come up with a better plan. And so there is a plan that will fit them, though, that will help them grow in life. So think about a growth system. I also want to say this. You may say, well, it's kind of to the point, but that's the point. If you don't do this, you're not committed to growth. I mean, seriously. If you say, well, I couldn't take the three minutes to you know, go to a web browser and see what I could do to grow. I mean, seriously, if you won't do that, you won't grow. I want to encourage you, do it. Take some time to find out what is a method or system that works. And we'll look at scripture next week, some things to help you as you grow in the Lord.